Salvation has never at any point in human history ever, 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 ever been about ethnicity. Ever. The Jews are not saved simply because they are Jews. Grafted in Romans chapter 11. It says this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But What is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you all remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, unless otherwise you too will be cut off. And even if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the 
excuse me, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in the way all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. So what then is God's plan for Israel? It's something that you and I really need to know and understand. What is his plan? Well, to understand it, we must understand just a little of the character of God. And that's exactly what we're going to look at this morning. So through this passage, though this passage speaks a lot of Israel and the Gentiles, because it speaks of both, amen? We must understand what is being said of us through the character of God. So this morning, we are going to look at God. We're going to look at three of his attributes. And it is my prayer that through knowing more about the character of God or being reminded of the character of God and knowing what he is doing through his people Israel, we might all be encouraged and have strength going forward. So point number one, God is kind. Can I get an amen? He is kind. Just looking at part of this passage, it says this, Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Just look at that just one more time. For if God did not spare the branches, neither will he spare you. Note the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they, do not, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? Salvation has never at any point in human history ever, 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 ever been about ethnicity. Ever. The Jews are not saved simply because they are Jews. That's not the way salvation works. It's not the way salvation has ever worked. God laid out his plan for salvation in Genesis 3.15. He has been working that out all the way through scriptures, all the way through the scriptures, And the coming of Jesus, Jesus died to fulfill all that was written about him and to bring salvation to all. Salvation is by the offspring promised in Genesis 3.15. It is not about ethnicity. Look with me for just a second. 
at a couple examples of this. You all remember the prophet Elijah, don't you? Remember that guy that went up on the mountain, stood against those prophets of Baal, bold, strong. Well, in 1 Kings 17, this is right after he goes to the wilderness to be fed by a raven. So just think about that for a second. He goes and he announces to this king, it's not going to rain except by my word. Then he flees because God tells him to go over the river and he lives in the wilderness and he's fed by ravens. And as the drought continues to make the famine spread, there's no food for him to pick and eat. So ravens actually supply his food. After the raven stops coming, God says to him, I want you to go up to Zarephath. I want you to go up to Sidon. And I want you to stay with a widow there. And he goes up and he stays with this widow. And this woman is not a Jew. She is a Sidonian. And he says, give me a little bread to eat. And she says, we have no bread except just a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I'm collecting sticks so I can prepare a meal for my son and I to eat. And then we're going to die. So if ever a person throughout scriptures was in need of salvation, it was this widow and her son. Amen? Come on now. If ever people in scripture were in need of salvation up to this point, it was this widow and her son. Amen? After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him, meaning he died. He's dead. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. He said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and he laid him on his own bed and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and life came to the child into him again and he revived and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother and Elijah said see your son lives the woman said to Elijah now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth this woman and her son are from Sidon they are not Israeli they are not Jews they have nothing owed to them I want you all to think one more time about the next prophet. You all remember the prophet that replaces Elijah? His name is Elisha. And there's this Syrian guy named Naaman. And he is a leper. And in 2 Kings 5.10, Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash yourself in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But... Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. But his servants came near to him and said, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Naaman needed salvation. 
And Naaman got salvation. Naaman was not an Israelite. We see this again and again throughout the scriptures. People that are saved, that are not Israeli. We see the uh, midwives from the book of Exodus. They are saved. They shouldn't have been. They're saved from the coming, the coming wrath of that time. Salvation has never been about ethnicity. There's not one Jew that is going to be in heaven apart from faith. That's all there is to it. Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as, say it, righteousness. Israel was believed to be the recipients of God's salvation. They were believed to be the ones that were going to receive God's salvation. Problem being, is that what Jesus said? No. Jesus does not say salvation is for the Jews. What does he say? Salvation is from the Jews. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is, what's that word? From the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You see, it is through the Jewish family that Messiah will come. Because of, the, because of Israel's disbelief, God has effectively broken off the branches from the olive tree, that is, the branches that represent the Jews. And instead, he has grafted us in, and we are the wild branches. So, when we read through the Bible, even through Sunday school, we heard lots of stories and we want to identify with people, right? I mean, think about it. First day in school, you get there, you're looking for a group to identify with, right? First day at work, you're looking for a group to identify with. We want to identify with people. In the Bible, when we read the story of David and Goliath, who do we identify with? David. Say it, everyone. Who do we identify with? David, right? Who ought we identify with? Goliath. We're not Jews. We can't identify with him. We ident- yeah, the enemy, that's our guy, okay? That's our team. That's where we stand. We always want to identify with the hero of the story. When the hero of the story is an Israelite, that's not us. We are Gentiles. We're on the other team. We would have been right over there with Goliath. That's who we are. So for us to look at the scriptures and see us wild branches, all us Goliaths, taken and put into the tree of God, some people say that that's a problem. Though this is the kindness of God to both the Gentiles and the Jews, some people say, well, how is that kind? How is it fair? How is it kind of God to remove some branches and replace them with the wild ones? I mean, all of us look at the story of David and Goliath and we're like, how could Goliath fit on that tree? Well, if we are on that tree, we should be able to see that easily. Romans 11, 17-24. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. A word of admonition to every living human being. If the people that were given the law cannot be saved by the law, neither can we. So if any of us are carrying around a list of good deeds that we did this morning, we should flush it. It's going to get us nowhere. 
Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. Why? Because those branches have been broken off. But God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted back in. For God has the power. God has the power. What does God have? He has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? God gave you and I an opportunity by faith in Christ to be grafted into his family, not Haas family, his family, to believe and become part of the olive tree. And the question you and I all ought to ask ourselves every single morning is this. Did he have to? Did he? Is there anything in any one of us sitting here this morning that would have made God do what he did? No. So, would it have been wrong for God to forbid all sinners' entrance into his family? I want us all to answer this on the count of three. Ready? So, would it have been wrong for God to forbid all sinners' entrance into his family? Three, two, one. No. No. God always does what is just. Always. So we say, we look at Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible and say, oh, how awful that that happened. God always does what is just. We look at Egypt, and as they are in the middle of the Red Sea, walls of water on both sides, and it comes down and collapses and crushes and kills them. People are like, that's not right. God shouldn't do that. God always does what is right. We think of Noah and his family all aboard the ark and think of the picture Charles Spurgeon gave this beautiful illustration. He said, think of the last person on the top of the tallest mountain reaching one more time for the ark, but they were forbidden entrance. God always does right. Even in that point when we don't understand it, God does right. Genesis 18.25 says this, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous as excuse me, so that the righteous are fair as the wicked, excuse me. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? Everyone, dog ear, Genesis 18. This is a verse that you and I need to memorize. God will always do what is just. Amen? He always does what is right. Always. There's never a time when God's like, ah, well, I wish I wouldn't have done that. No, God always does what is right. So in God breaking off the branches of his olive tree, because it's his olive tree, amen, and replacing them with wild branches, number one, he's doing what is right. And number two, though we may not understand it, he's doing what is kind. God always does what is right. Absolutely always. So in his kindness, he breaks those branches, the Jews, off from his olive tree and grafts in others, the Gentiles. It says in Romans eleven seventeen through 24, 
Just look at the, uh, verse 23. And even if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. In his kindness, he will graft those broken branches that turn from their disbelief back into the trunk. So let me ask God's people this morning, is it over for Israel? All God's people said, no. No. God is so kind. He's so patient. He's so kind. Not only is he kind, he's also faithful. He's so, so very faithful. Look at this section of verses. Look at verse 28. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Are what? Irrevocable. So the covenants from the Old Testament, the promises God made, they're not forgotten. It's not like God's like, well, I'm done with that now. No, not forgotten. God keeps every promise that he makes, every single one. Used to be a common practice for children in the United States when they read through the primer. Uh, in their early education, when we used to teach the Bible in schools, was for them to note the promises of Scripture and note the ones that are for them. It's a shame that we've really lost that practice. Even as adults, we have a hard time recounting even some of the promises God made to us. There are many. God made promises to Israel through Noah. said, I am not going to flood the earth again. He go forth, be fruitful, and multiply once more. Give me that promise. He promised Abraham, count the stars if you can. Can you do it? That's how many kids you're going to have. Through your offspring shall all the nations be blessed. Isaac, the promise is continued. Jacob, the promise is continued. David, He'll never fail to have a son on the throne. None of these promises made to Israel go away. If that's who any of us think God is, we need to get rid of that very quickly. God's promises don't go away. He's going to keep all of them. Every single one of them, God is faithful. None of that goes away. And we Gentiles, we cling to these promises as our own, and we should, because we've been grafted in. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God is going to do what he said he will do because he is faithful. And the gifts that he's promised will all be fulfilled. We talk about the word trust and we throw it around like it's this, you know, just like the or and, you know, like it's a simple preposition, like it's just something that kind of fits into Christian lingo. We are literally talking about our ability to know and believe that God will keep every single one of his promises. That's who God is. If you read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you will see this again, again, and again, and again. God continues to keep and fulfill all of his promises Why? Because he's faithful. And lastly, 
God is merciful. It says this, Romans eleven twenty five 25 through 36. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy, by the mercy to you, they, excuse me, by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that may have mercy on all. He may have mercy on all. On all. So how are Jews going to be saved? The same way as you and me. Same way as anyone else. By faith in Christ, according to the mercy of God through Christ. The mercy shown to us, Gentiles, is mercy also to the Jews in order to stir up their jealousy that they too may come to know salvation by faith in Christ. So you want to know what God's doing? What is God doing now? Why is it so many Jews reject Christ? So they can see what God is doing in the Gentiles and the Jews will become jealous and that jealousy will stir them to inquiry. And inquiry will move them toward wanting to hear the gospel, knowing why we stand and believe what we believe and where we stand. It's his mercy. He's merciful. He is so, so merciful. And to the fact that, that God is kind, and God is faithful, and God is merciful we can respond with the Apostle Paul this morning. Would you stand with me this morning? And I just want us all to read this together. And as these words roll off your tongue, I want everyone to meditate upon the meaning of what we're saying. Remember, this response is, is to God's kindness. And it's to God's faithfulness. And it's to God's mercy. So read with me. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.